Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Welcome back. We're now in our 30th year. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always determine the agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download the podcast. This Thursday, after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. You can also download the free app, Sound to Cloud, and just go Money Talk with Carl Stewart, and you see a whole bunch of previous broadcasts. It's always a terrific idea to call or text early in the broadcast, giving me ample opportunity to do my best to answer your question. I take today's calls first. And then today's text, and if I have any text from previous weeks that I either have not answered or would like to answer in a more full fashion, I will go back to those, 512-836-0590. I did have a couple of texts that came in at the end of the broadcast last week, and I did not have the time to answer them. So here, I'll just take those. Carl, are there mutual funds that have puts and calls, and how can I get a list of them? So what this person is asking is, are there mutual funds that use options? And the answer is a qualified yes. I have not seen, nor could I find, a mutual fund that only uses options. But when I Googled mutual funds using options, I was taken to a US News report site where it listed a number of funds that use options, uh, and uh, rank them, and obviously US, New, U.S. News ranks colleges and universities. I have no idea about their criteria, and I certainly am not recommending them. But they tend to use options, in my experience, as some form of hedge, in other words, to offset other risk. So I don't know that that's what you're looking for, but because options are a wasting asset, meaning that they have an expiration date and will diminish in value over time, they're generally not used as a pure strategy to either buy puts, anticipating a decline in, in an index or asset, or buying calls for the opposite. But you can go online, do your Google search, and see what you come up with. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Give me a call or a text at 512-836-0590. Here's that interesting text. Carl, my wife and I are retired. We have a pension and Social Security, and that covers all our living expenses and fun costs. Congratulations. We will start our required minimum distributions this year. We are both healthy. What's the best thing to do with this money? So there's a couple of ways that I would approach that. The first thing I would say is to talk to look at qualified charitable distributions because you don't need the cash and if you regularly give money to your church or synagogue or mosque or your university or your your school or some other worthy 501c3 organizations the qualified charitable distribution or QCD is a terrific 
thing. I use it. And it allows you to take money out of your IRA. Uh, in fact, you, you can do it sooner than the RMD age, which is 73. You can do this after 70 and a half, as I recall. And you can take out as much as $100,000. So you would have to have a multi-million dollar IRA before you uh, got above the $100,000 limit. And the mon- you, you designate to your custodian to which organization you want the money to go. Then your custodian will either send the check directly to that organization, or you can have the custodian send the check to you. It's made payable to your alma mater, for example, and you can deliver it yourself. I kind of like to do that personally. And uh, what you get is the benefit of giving money. Uh, That's a significant benefit for people who have what the lawyers like to call philanthropic intent, uh, and you don't have any tax liability for the required minimum distribution. Now, if you want the tax deduction for the contribution, you'll have to use your own after-tax money, and you, of course, would want to make sure that your contributions took you above the standard deduction. So that's one possibility. Let's suppose that that's not your preference, then what should you do with the money? So if you think about it, when you what you have are two great streams of income that you that no one can change you can't mess it up nobody else can mess it up the pension has been is a lifetime guarantee of income you may well have chosen some form of joint option so the first spouse passes away the the surviving spouse gets lifetime income and you have social security and that covers your living costs and your fund costs so that what is, if anything, the risk to you? The risk to you is a rising cost of living because Social Security is not going to say to you, oh, we'll give you more money because gasoline prices are up or grocery prices are up, and neither is your pension. As a result, the way to th- think about how do we protect ourselves, if we live to be 90 or 93 or 94, and how do we protect ourselves against the rising cost of living? Because we have something that looks a lot like a very large bond portfolio that provides us regular income. So you want to do what you want to do is you want to invest in an asset class that over your remaining years, based on history, is going to outpace inflation. And that's common stocks because common stocks represent ownership of American and, glo- and global businesses. And if you go back and study this, from generally the data start, quality data start in 1926 for the U.S. stock market. And are there bad times? Well, of course there are bad times. We have recessions. We have uh, all wars. We have all kinds of bad things. But over the longer term, uh, those returns have outpaced inflation. And so what I would do is I would take that required minimum distribution. If you have an advisor, talk to her or him. If you don't and you're happy doing this yourself, then go to one of the big mutual fund companies and invest in their stock funds. You may prefer active management where you have human beings making the decisions. There are plenty of good funds that do that. And then you may also decide that, no, you would rather have what's called passive management, where you simply put your money in something called an exchange-traded fund or a regular mutual fund. And that fund is designed to match the performance of a particular index, the Standard & Poor's 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, the MSCI XUS, uh, the uh, NASDAQ, 
uh, all with different return characteristics, meaning different risk return characteristics. Uh, and you put the money in there, and, and frankly, you forget about it. Because over the years, you'll be able to, if you choose, draw down on that, and you'll be paying taxes at the lower long-term capital gains tax rate. So the tax rate will be lower on those withdrawals than it will be on your pension income and on your Social Security income. And I think if everybody who was in the fortunate position that you are did that, they would sleep nights even better, not that you don't, because of this inflation protection. And oh, by the way, if you don't need the money or all of the money, upon your demise, obviously, uh, the pension goes to zero when both members of the couple die, and Social Security goes to zero. But if you have that money, it goes to your heirs per your wishes. And when they get it, the cost basis, which would be quite low in most cases, if you do this for 10 or 15 years, will actually disappear, and their cost basis will be the, t- the, date, the date of death of the, pers- the last spouse, to the, fa- the, fa- the last spouse to survive. And so if you invested over a lifetime $150,000 and the second person dies and it's worth $300,000 and you give it to your kids or to your grandkids or to anybody, the cost basis goes to $300,000. And they have the wonderful option of simply selling and paying no taxes or letting it continue to grow with a higher cost basis. So that's what I would do if I were in your shoes. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I'm going to talk to Nick when I return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. When you have a question, Call or text 512-836-0590. Nick, you're on the air. How may I help? Yeah, howdy. Uh, uh, I was calling because we've got a financial advisor mm-hmm. uh, and wanted to know if it, it seemed like appropriate what we're getting for our value. Okay. Uh, she charges us about $300. She charges $300 every month. I don't feel like she really does a whole lot uh, ongoing. She helped us to move a lot of our retirement funds from different accounts all into one. So most of our stuff is in one location now. Uh, but other than that, she doesn't do a whole lot. And I feel like we're also getting charged fees every month from the, the Charles Schwab. Uh, so just trying to find out is this sure. even uh, what the norm is in the industry. Sure. So the 300 a month, that's $3,600 a year. Um, and what is the what is the value or the amount of the portfolio that she's holding? Uh, we're around three hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, <clears throat> so that's we, about we have, two, we have two different two different accounts that are like that. So I guess about six fifty or seven hundred. So I would say if she's charging you three thousand six hundred dollars, and it's six hundred and fifty thousand to seven hundred thousand, my first response is that's below the market. Um, because generally you'd be expecting to pay between one and a one and a half percent down to one percent for that. If you so, if this person is an investment, is she on her own or is she with a large company or is she with Charles Schwab? Uh, on her own. Okay, 
So she's on her own, and the assets are held at Charles Schwab. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. And so she she's – I want to get clear about what she's doing before I answer your question more fully. Is She's recommended and is using mutual funds, uh, exchange-traded funds, individual stocks and bonds. What's she doing with your money, Nick? Uh, I think um, uh, it's not individual. It's uh, uh, more IRAs and whatnot. Right, but I mean the thing, the assets she's investing in are they mutual funds? Uh, mutual funds, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Now, if she's if she is an investment advisor, so here's this gets tricky. So she's probably uh, a registered investment advisor would be that what her company is, and the, and the fancy term, but it's also the legal term. If she's an investment advisor representative, most people who do this call themselves investment advisors, and that's perfectly reasonable. And it, in that case, if she is, there are two or three really important things, and you can and you need to ask her these questions. The first one is you ask her, are you a fiduciary? F-I-D-U-C-I-A-R-Y. Are you a fiduciary? And the reason is that if she says yes, that means that several things. Number one, she cannot receive any transaction-based compensation. She can't get any sales charges, commissions. She can't get any money directly from the mutual fund companies. So you want to know first and foremost if she's a fiduciary. The second thing about a fiduciary, and probably more importantly, is that she has to put her, your interest, your interest in front of hers, before hers. She has what the law says is a duty of care. She must do, in all circumstances, what she believes is best for you, based on her understanding of your situation, your goals, and objectives. If all of those things are true, and, you're, and she's managing six hundred and fifty to 700000 of mutual funds, and uh, 1% would be $6,000 or $7,000 a year, and she's only charging you $3,600 a year, then she's charging you substantially below the market, in my opinion, and so you're, the, she's not overcharging you from that standpoint. Now, if you have lost confidence in what she does, then it doesn't matter what she's charging you. You need to find another advisor. But if she's got mutual funds, if, and the mutual funds are managing the assets, and she makes occasional changes because she finds a fund that she thinks more appropriate for you, or she finds an asset class that you don't own that she thinks you should have, or she determines that one of the funds you have is no longer one of her best selections, then she's managing it. But she shouldn't have, she shouldn't, not only shouldn't have to, she absolutely shouldn't be buying and selling various mutual funds because the mutual funds represent a diversified portfolio. So you'd have to know more about how she's managing her money. Because you're concerned that she's not doing anything, if I were in your shoes, I would either set up a phone conference or go see her face-to-face if you're comfortable with that and she's local to where you live, and I would ask those questions. Help me understand your business model. Are you a fiduciary, an investment advisor? The answer is going to be yes or no. If the answer is no, then she probably is what we call duly registered, meaning she can receive compensation from the mutual funds, and she can charge you a fee. So it's possible 
that she's making more than the 3600 because the mutual funds may be paying her. And there's a fancy term from that. They're called 12B1 fees, and they're typically one quarter of 1%. So in that example, if she's charging you, let's say, one half of 1% and getting one quarter of 1% from the mutual funds, well, then she's actually being compensated more than it appears to you. So you want to find out if she's not a fiduciary, then the next question is help me understand, in addition to the $300 a month I'm paying you, what other compensation are you receiving and from whom? Okay, if she says I'm a fiduciary, then then I have no problem with that fee. I think it's substantially below the market. Then it becomes, I would ask her, and I think this is true regardless of how she's compensated, we're with you, but we don't really see what you're doing. and We're not confident that we're getting the value from you that we're paying you for. Help us understand what you're doing. Help us with your understand your investment strategy. And if she cannot explain that in a way that makes sense to you, then you ought to find another advisor. But I would tell you for six hundred and fifty to $700,000, finding a fiduciary who's paying attention to your assets and charging you one half of 1% is way below the market, Nick. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I think I got a text in. Ah, hi, Carl. The best financial show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's a lovely thing to say. I have an overweight portfolio in value-focused funds. I feel I have missed an opportunity on the growth side of investing. However, I do not want to chase returns. Should I just continue my long-term value strategy? Thanks. Boy, this is a really good question for which there's a really <laughs> difficult answer. What I have observed and have learned painfully over the last 45 years is exactly what you're experiencing now. And that is that one so-called style of investing in the equity market can be growth, and the, 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 that would be Microsoft and Meta, NVIDIA, Apple, Tesla, Google, and one side can be value, which might be manufacturers or banks or other types of perhaps slower growing companies. And what you find, if you're around long enough, is that once can lead for a long, long time. And I quote for you that the 90s went from 1995 through 1999, the S&P 500 went up over 20% per year. But the value stocks lagged. I remember a big fund that's still around. It's a really terrific fund, and I'm not recommending it. Washington Mutual Investors Fund in 1999 was up something like 4 or 5%. And in that same fund family, growth fund of America, was up something like 45%. Then what happened? We call it the dot-com bust, but it was a lot more than the dot-coms. They were just the obvious ones. The NASDAQ fell 50% at least. It took 15 years to come back. And once the market bottomed in September of 2000, value beat the heck out of growth until we got to the global financial crisis when everything went in the ditch. And coming out of that, we're in this current market where growth has trounced value Large growth has trounced small 
and it's been the place to be. So you may or may not have missed it, but you can't time the market. What I would do if I were in your shoes is I wouldn't buy a growth fund, but I'd buy you know a, a, a total stock market would be my favorite or an S&P 500, uh, not the NASDAQ and not the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but that will get you exposure to these growth stocks. That will get you exposure because I was looking today at the ETFs in the Vanguard total stock market year to date, it's up 623, and I also just see it's 29 minutes after the hour. So I'm gonna finish answering your question when we come back. Now's a great time to call or text 512-836-0590. I shall return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5. When you have a question, call or text 512 836 0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com. Go there anytime you would like and download podcasts or previous broadcasts. Go to and download the free app SoundCloud. You can then get the podcast there. And this coming Thursday, we will rebroadcast today's show. Let me finish that question. Carl, I have an overweight portfolio in value focus funds. I feel I have missed an opportunity on the growth side of investing, however. I do not want to chase returns. However, I do not want to chase returns. Should I just continue with my long-term value strategy? The answer is no. Uh, This may be the peak, but we may be sitting here a year from now with growth continuing to lead the parade. So what you want to do is nothing wrong with value, and I own value in fact, I own a small cap value, which is just the stinkiest place to be in ba- recently, having set stinky being an investment term recently. But I would say to you, add, add a market kind of cr- what I would call a cap-weighted market index like the S&P 500. A year to date, uh, the Vanguard total uh, ETF VTIs of 6.23%, the Spider S&P 500 ETF SPY up 6.85, and the uh, ONEQ, which is the Fidelity NASDAQ ETF up 6.50. I would I would have probably either the VTI or the SPY because if growth continues to go, you will participate that way, and good luck. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ, 512-836-0590. Aaron, you're on the air. How may I help? Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I'm um, turning 60 next month, and uh, all of my investments are in my 401k, uh-huh. and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I wish I would have started a Roth years ago, but I never did. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of am perplexed on what I should do, and so I'm looking for some guidance. Sure. So you're still working at the employer where the 401k is? No. Okay. So um, you want to probably, I mean, first of all, there's nothing wrong with staying where it is because the employer had a responsibility to do their due diligence to select uh, the 
funds that are in the menu. So it, you're not likely to be in terrible investments. So you could leave it there. However, yep. if you would like, you can also move that money to an IRA. It's called an IRA rollover. You could pick the custodian and then move it there and choose from a, a wide range of various funds. Or if you wanted to, you could also do your due diligence just like you would with you were hiring a CPA or an architect or an attorney and select an advisor. If you, at this point, uh, you're right, you, you don't have near enough money, uh, but you know that's kind of like me having you cry over spilt milk. There's nothing you can do about that. Do you have the ability to do additional investing? You have enough cash flow to put more money away. Um, yeah, no, and, and actually, I, I, I kind of feel like I have, you know, an, enough saved at this point, um, around 1.7. Um, okay, okay. 1.7. And, and, and I'm still working, um, you know, so I will still be investing. I just, you know, I didn't know if there was an option on the 401k. Well, what would be the advantage of, of converting it to an IRA at this point? I would say the advantage of converting it to an IRA would only be if you wanted to do it yourself or you wanted to uh, engage an advisor, or you wanted to have a portfolio that was uh, more, shall we say, sophisticated, because there are there are investments out there that you can purchase either probably through an advisor that are more institutional-like, or you could say, gee, I'm just gonna use an example. I wanna own you know, 5% gold, I can buy the exchange traded fund on my own IRA, but it's not an option in the 401k. Or I'm, I want to b- buy a fund that's uh, in, engaged in some sophisticated strategy like trend following managed futures, something like that. That's not going to be in the 401k based on my experience. But if you're happy right. with, but if you're happy with the 401k, then and and your previous employer allows you to keep it there, it'll be low cost because the costs of the plan are spread about all of the other all of the other uh, plan participants. One thing you might think about because $1.7 million is a lot of money. Uh, If you decide to retire when you're 65, if you keep more or if you keep 60 to 65% of that money in stocks, and if you put the other money in bonds or these other strategies, and you don't take more than 4% a year, so if it's $2 million, that's $80,000 a year, the odds are that you will be able to do that and keep up with the cost of living and not run out of money. Now, there will be, and you're 60, so you've been through good times and bad times in the economy and in the financial markets. But if you can keep that allocation at that level and have that withdrawal rate not exceed 4%, so in down years like 2022, when your portfolio declines, you're not taking out seven, eight, nine percent because that really hurts. Yeah. Then that's the target to go. If you had extra okay. ca- if you had extra cash, you mentioned a Roth in your opening comments. A Roth's a great idea if you don't make too much money because that will allow you to put money away, not be subject to a required minimum distribution. And once it's there five years, you can take the money out because you're over fifty nine and a half and pay absolutely yeah. no income tax on it yes okay all right yeah i appreciate your help thank you you bet thanks for calling aaron you're listening to money talk 
on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Hello, Carl. We would appreciate your thoughts on the recent artificial intelligence-fueled market rally. Is this like 1995 or 1999? Seems like AI has staying power. Uh, Based on what I've read, AI does have staying power. I mean, smart, smart people are suggesting that it's as big as the, inter- as the beginning of the Internet. What you have to remember is that there were companies that were huge in the 90s that everyone thought the Internet had to have. Cisco Systems is a perfect example. What a fantastic stock. Well, along ca- they provided the plumbing for the Internet. So everybody figured... That's, uh, that's just going to be around forever. Guess what? Cloud computing came along and blew that up. Think back to when you, the, the Palm Pilot, uh, was that? No, it was the BlackBerry that replaced the uh, flip phone. And everybody from the president on down had a BlackBerry. And then Apple came along with the iPhone. So is AI here to stay the answer is yes this is not a dot-com bubble are there going to be winners and losers boy there sure are right now the biggest most easily identified winner is nvidia and their earnings are growing so rapidly that even though the stock is shot like a rocket straight up on an earnings forward basis there are other big tech stocks that are frankly more expensive on a price-to-earnings ratio. So I think AI is here. Uh, I would be extremely unwilling to bet on a particular company because I've seen seen Dell dominate uh, for 10 years and then go from $70 to $10.50 and go private. As I always say, that's a permanent loss of capital. So I wouldn't bet on companies. I wouldn't be concerned about betting on AI in a general way. Frankly, given what's going on in the market, owning a market cap weighted index like the, like the NASDAQ really gets you into this whole AI mania. And if you can take the volatility with some modest portion of the equity allocation in your portfolio and you're willing to live with the volatility, then, the, then buying the NASDAQ ETF is, it would be the way to do that. Or if you want to take a little uh, less risk, the S&P 500 would be a good way to do that as well. So I think AI is here, and it is fueling the market rally per your per your comments. But it's it is absolutely impossible to pick the long term winners and losers based on my painful experience. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I'm going to take a break. It's a perfect time for you to call or text five one two. 836-0590. Stick around. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another 13, 14 minutes. If you have a question, a good time to call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, I have a financial advisor 
who's taking care of my retirement portfolio and has been doing so for 30 years. Congratulations to both of you. I recently got a status report. It shows that my 10-year return is barely over 6%. That seems pretty low to me. What are your thoughts? Actually, I'd have to, I, I will tell you, I've seen 20-year returns um, and 23, 24-year returns that come in around 6%. Um, now, 10 years would be 2014 to 2024. We didn't have, so you didn't have the global financial crisis in 07, 08, and 09, and you didn't have the dot-com blow up in late in 2001 and 02. I'd have to say it really depends on your asset allocation. That's a the, the, here. That's a, a tricky question, and I I can understand why you feel that way. But it would really matter as to what the what your investment strategy, meaning what the advisor's investment strategy is. Um, if you just look from point to point over long periods of time, and you've been doing so doing this for thirty years, if you look at it point to point, there's no question that the vast majority of the time owning an all-equity portfolio is going to do just terrific. But that doesn't take into account risk. That's why institutional portfolios just don't own stocks because there are periods of time, like the ones I identified during your 30-year period, where an all-stock portfolio could drop 40% or even more. If it drops 40%, you need a 66% return to come back. And if it drops 50%, you need a 100% return to come back. And in my experience, most people are unwilling to take that kind of risk. So without being able to see what you're invested in, it's entirely plausible that your advisors put you in a balanced portfolio that may be as simple as stocks and bonds, or there may be other kinds of assets, and there may be real estate investment trusts, there may be high-yield bonds, there may be municipal bonds. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff. So I, I think only looking at the 10-year number and saying 6% doesn't seem very, very good to you, I would have to say that I, I can't agree with that. The other thing is, over that time period, until until the last two years, frankly, 6% after inflation was just fine. Stocks did what they're supposed to do and outpaced inflation. So my thought is you ought to, you ought to understand the investment strategy that your advisor is using. As I say on this broadcast all the time, if you choose to use an advisor, you ought to ask her, what is your investment strategy with our money? They ought to be able to articulate that and they ought to be able to do that in a way that makes sense to you and if it doesn't then find another advisor but do not pick an advisor strictly on returns because you don't know how those returns were obtained and maybe they were obtained in such a fashion that the, you were unac- that the risk is unacceptable to you so this is not simple stuff but that's how I would approach it you're listening to money talk on news radio KLBJ Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's another text. Your comment to the previous caller was a Roth would be a good idea if you don't make too much money. Was that because there's a penalty for putting into a Roth if you make too much or because you don't get a tax write-off or what? Actually, 
what it, I meant is there's an income test, and I don't memorize this because it changes uh, every year, but there's an amount above which if you have taxable income above that amount, you cannot do a Roth. You can do a Roth conversion, but you cannot put new money into a Roth. And so as a result of that, that's why I said that. You, if you make too much money as a single or a joint tax uh, payer, then you're just out of luck. This year, the maximum uh, compensation, let's just look, maximum Roth IRA contribution eligibility. Your modified adjusted gross income, if you're a single taxpayer, it has to be less than $146,000. And if you're married filing jointly, it has to be at less than $230,000. And so if that person with whom I was visiting or answering, I can't remember that I think I was visiting with the person, if his single or joint income was above that, he cannot put new money into a Roth. That's what I was saying. Now, there is no tax advantage to sit putting it in. You don't get a tax right off, but that's the deal you make. You don't get a tax deduction for putting the money in, but it stays in there. You don't pay taxes on any of the growth, dividends, interest, capital appreciation, and provided you're over 59 and a half, and provided that uh, you've had it in since your first investment was five years ago, it comes out tax-free, and you don't have a required minimum distribution. Thanks for the text. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Hi, Carl. Thanks for your great show. You're very welcome. I'm a weekly listener, a frequent texter, and sometimes caller. Uh, I don't know. You may have to do a 12-step process. I'm not sure. Due to the lack of calls and texts today, it appears we might be headed for the bloviation zone, (laughs) my new favorite word learned from you. To dodge that, I have an an old education IRA, uh uh-oh, for a now 32-year-old who also holds a 529 that I'm planning on converting to a Roth IRA for him. What are my options for the cash and the education IRA? Can I convert it to the 529? Wow, that's a really difficult question for me. I never, ever did or got involved with education IRAs. And my guess is probably like uh, original 529 plans. If you took it out and it was for non-education purposes, you paid taxes on it, and maybe it may be a penalty, but I don't know that. Now, what you're referring to, and this gets complicated, is in this recent legislation called the Secure Act 2.0, they have uh, an item in there that says if you have a 529 plan set up, let's just say for your child, and she gets a full ride and doesn't need the money, and in your case, they're now 30, she's now 32 years old. They, this new Secure Act 2.0 allows you to put the money into a Roth without having any tax consequences or penalties, taking the money from the 529. And there's a long list of criteria. It has to be in there for a certain period of time. But at this person's age, 32, 
with the 59-and-a-half penalty on the Roth, they're not going to take it out for 27 years anyway. So I think that would meet the holding period criteria. So yes, based on my reading of Secure Act 2.0, Putting that money into a Roth makes, you see, it's for him, makes that is a very good idea for him. But the education IRA, you've managed to stump the chump. We're down to about six minutes. I don't have any calls or texts, so you're welcome to call or text 512-836-0590. So I came across this um, tidbit this week in talking with a representative from a large asset management company. And I'd forgotten this. I think it really makes a difference. So if you are a regular listener, you know that I talk about passive stock investing and active stock investing. And I say passive investing is you match up the index, the S&P 500 or the total stock market or the NASDAQ or the Dow to your particular likes. I like the total stock market personally, but that's up to you. And then I talk about adding small pieces of active management. And I talk about the fact that it's been my experience that when you have an active stock manager, they ought not to look like, meaning their performance ought not to look like the index. Because then that's the case. Buy the darn index. It's cheaper. So what you're looking for is a different return pattern. And so what I've learned is that you can outpro- you can find people that outperform on the upside and you can find people that outperform on the downside, but you're not going to find people that can do both of those. And when they outperform on the upside, meaning they outperform the index, it's because they're taking larger concentrated bets. So I'll bet that last year with the move in large cap growth stocks, there were some funds that just knocked the lights out. I happened to be on an institutional board, and I saw one of their active managers was up 53% last year. You heard that correctly, 53%. I have more to say on this, but right now, Eric, you're on the line. You're on the air. How may I help? Hello. Hi, Eric. You're on the air. Please go ahead. Eric, can you hear me? Eric? I guess not. We lost Eric. Please go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Eric? Yes, please go ahead. Can you hear me? Eric? I guess not. Yes. Hello. I guess that it was, unfortunately it goes to the car. And then Kyle, I think you're going to have to hang up on this because they're having electronic problems. You're listening to Money Talk, and I will continue for the next two minutes to bloviate on, on, uh, on my views. So I, I remember, because every year the Wall Street Journal uh, – highlights the top stock fund managers of the year from the previous year. And I remember this woman was a stock top manager and she was up again in the 40 plus percent range. And she's, she has actually gone backwards since then because she focused on biotech stocks and they've been deeply out of favor. But I also am aware of managers who, when the stock market went down, went down a lot less. But what I got with this is what's interesting. So it's my understanding that the largest bond fund is the Vanguard total bond market, which is available both in mutual fund and exchange-traded fund format. If you've listened, you know I've talked about market capitalization in the stock market, where it's rated by the biggest stocks by market cap. Well, it turns out that those fund the bond. If you have a passive bond fund and it's benchmarked to the Bloomberg AG, then it's what it owns is a function of the largest issuers of the debt. Now, stop and think about that. 
Okay, so if the largest issuer is the U.S. Treasury, then you have got a big allocation to U.S. Treasuries, whether you like it or not. If a big issuer is, say, uh, not the kind of company you want to be associated with, or it's not particularly strong balance sheet, too bad, because that's what you got. That's one of the reasons why I prefer active management. Plus, there are dislocations in the bond market. So right now, for example, bond managers tell me that government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, are really attractive. Well, if you have passive management, you can't take advantage of that. We're down to time for me to go. I see I've got another text. I'll handle that next week. I want to thank Kyle for doing a great job. I want to thank you for listening. Join me next Saturday after the news at 4 for Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 